Well, good morning. It is an honor to be with you here today. Uh, Debbie and I served, both of us on staff at Country for 17 years. Both of our kids graduated from North Branch High School, and so we just have many good memories here in this area and in this church, and, and as we always said, there are so many amazing people here. It is good to be back. It's hard to believe that we have been gone nearly four years, and yet in some ways, maybe it's because of COVID, it seems like ages ago. But we moved to Colorado in 2018, and then we came back to Michigan in, uh, in 2020 to take care of Debbie's parents. Her dad was very sick, and actually he was uh, given only days to live on multiple occasions. Yet under Debbie's care, he actually graduated hospice. I usually thought that meant you passed, but he graduated off hospice uh, for a time and then he got put back on, and, and, but he did get two more years of life. He did pass this past January. And so until the end of the month, we are still taking care of her mom, who has dementia. And dementia is a very sad disease because the person that has it, their mind is going, but they don't know it. And so her mom, in her case, she can remember the past but she can't remember what she did five minutes ago. And so she'll keep asking the same questions over and over and over. And worse yet, you have a conversation with her and you ask her, what do you want? And she will tell you. And then when you do what she has requested, she doesn't remember it and she doesn't want it now. And she's angry that you never ask her. And so when a person has dementia, their view of reality is not even close to what's actually going on, and yet they think it's the truth. You know, that actually describes many people in our world who do not have dementia. Uh, people all around us, they have this view of life and this view of God that they believe is true, and they believe it's accurate, yet it's not. They don't realize, as Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, that Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. So Paul says, many are blind in this world and they don't even know it, which explains much of the confusion and the chaos in our world. The good news is, though there is no cure for dementia, there is a cure for those who have been blinded by the lies and deceptions of Satan, and that cure is Jesus. Jesus is the cure, and we, the church, possess that cure, which means the church is the hope of the world. This past week, I heard a missionary uh, from Poland saying that people from the Ukraine are, are trying to flee to Poland to find safety. And he talked about what they're doing within Poland, within their country, to help the, the refugees. But he also said that the United States and other countries are sending supplies to the Ukraine, but it's under martial law, so it can only get to the border. They cannot take it in and distribute it, which means, he said, we have to rely, rely on those who are living in Ukraine to get them where they need to go. That means that the hope of the mission rests in the hands of the people who live there. And if you think about that, that is also true of the gospel. That Jesus has provided anything everyone could, anyone could ever need, salvation from sins, the truth of God's word, 
the Holy Spirit to provide power and direction. Yet Jesus said, I'm going away. I need you to go and make disciples of all nations. I'm going away, and the hope of the mission rests in your hands, the hands of the church. Jesus is basically saying, you are my plan. You, church, are the hope of the world. That was true 2,000 years ago. It's still true today. In fact, that truth will never change. The church is and always will be the hope of the world. And so my goal is that by the end of our time together, you will not only remember that statement that the church is the hope of the world, but you will believe it and you will act upon it. Now when I say church, I'm not referring to this building or any building that calls itself a church, but rather I'm referring to the people that go to that building, the fully devoted followers of Jesus who have a daily encounter with God, who are living out their faith every day in a real and a generous way. And they are being the church where they live, where they work, and where they play. And when we do that, when we, the church, do that, it brings hope to the world. Now, have you ever noticed, or is it just me, because I see it all the time, that this world is a messed up place. Have you noticed that? I mean, you turn on the evening news, you pick up a newspaper, you follow social media, you look at the people around you, and sometimes the person within you, and you see a lot of hurting, bitter, disillusioned, confused people. And that's nothing new. It started way back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve, who knew the promises of God, were blinded by the lies of Satan. And we live in a world that still believes those lies. It's no wonder our world is messed up. But Paul warned about living like the world. He said in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17, With the Lord's authority, I say this, Live no longer as the Gentiles do. Now the Gentiles are those who don't know God, they don't acknowledge God with their lives. In other words, stop living like the non-believing world around you. For they are hopelessly confused, their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasures and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. That sounds like a pretty accurate description of the world we live in, doesn't it? But Paul says their thinking is hopelessly confused. So when, when we live a life that is not centered on God's truth, there is no hope of getting it right. When we don't center our life on God, there's no hope of actually getting it right. We might get certain areas, but our life will not be right. He says their minds are full of darkness. I think about what Jesus said. Jesus said when your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. And when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. In other words, how we view God affects every area of our life. But then listen to what Jesus said. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. If the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. See, the world has no clue that they're living in darkness. They're like that person with dementia. Well, the result of not seeing clearly is they wander far from the life that God gives to his people. Because when our thinking doesn't honor God, 
and our hearts don't honor God, neither will our choices. And as a result, we just wander further and further and further from him. Why? Well, as Paul said, because they have closed their minds and they have hardened their hearts toward him. He says they have no sense of shame, that, that our hearts become insensitive, they become calloused, we have no convictions, they live for lustful pleasures. I can do whatever I want and I have no boundaries to restrain me. And they eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Impurity is, is basically immoral behavior. Is there anything in this world today that's considered immoral by the world? No. So in summary, the world has no boundaries. Everything is permissible. The world has no conscience and there's no guilt and there's no conviction of wrong. And yet, even with all this freedom that, that people say they have, they're still not satisfied. They're always looking for more. They're always looking for the next best thing, hoping to finally fill that emptiness inside. The world desperately needs hope, and the church is the hope of the world. Well, the church is the hope of the world because it leads us to the truth. A few years back, Debbie and I were doing premarital counseling with a couple. And, and so they started coming to the sessions. They started coming to the church. And, and she had not been raised in church at all. He had been a little bit. But I remember after they got involved, she said in one of our sessions, she said, I see what my kids are learning, the stuff that I never did. And I feel so cheated that I didn't learn this because my life could have been so different. And then another guy, he started coming here uh, through the Narcotics Anonymous group. And I remember he said to me, he said, Rick, my life has changed so much in two years. I never knew people actually lived this way. See, because of the church, both of these people had discovered the truth, the truth that is found in Jesus. Back here in Ephesians 4, Paul has just described how living in darkness leads to a life that is, that is far from God's plan for us. When we're not living according to Jesus, you're not living God's plan for your life. He has so much in store for you. But in Ephesians 4, he says in verse 20, But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Paul says when we come to Jesus, we come to the truth. And we begin to see through the darkness. And so we stop believing and we stop accepting the world's view of morality that is constantly changing. Our, our, our view of right and wrong is established by God and his word. But we live in the world where it's constantly changing. And, and this is nothing new. It's been going on for years, probably since eternity. But I remember one time when Abraham Lincoln was frustrated with that same mentality. And he was talking to a guy, and he was frustrated. And so he finally asked the man, he said, let me ask you a question. How many legs does a cow have? The man said, well, that would be four. And Lincoln said, four. You're right. Now, suppose we call the cow's tail a leg. Now, how many legs does that cow have? And the man said, well, that obviously is five. And Lincoln said, and that's where you're wrong. It doesn't matter what we call that cow's tail. It's still not a leg. Truth 
never changes. And when we learn the truth about Jesus, that it says that the Holy Spirit comes in us and it renews our thoughts and it renews our attitude according to God's word. And this process brings tremendous hope to the hopelessly confused. The church is the hope of the world because it leads us to the truth. Well, the church is also the hope of the world because in Jesus, there's a place for everyone. Not just the best, but the struggling, the hurting, the confused, the weak, the outcast. Ephesians 1.4 says, Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. It gives God great pleasure to bring you into himself through Jesus. In chapter 2, Paul writes, God is so rich in mercy, and he loves us. Even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. And then he says, it is only by grace you have been saved. Not because you're so good, but because of God's mercy. That's what he's saying. Even though we were dead in our sins, Jesus gave us new life. Though we fall short, though we did not meet the standard, he said, and he says to each one of us, I choose you. I want you on my team. A while back, I watched a movie called Moneyball. It's based on a true story about the Oakland Athletics. And in 2001, the Oakland Athletics went to the American League Championship Series. They were one win away from going to the World Series. They were playing the New York Yankees, who we hate here in Michigan, at least I always did. And, and the Yankees had the biggest payroll in, in, in Major League history. And so they won the final three games. The A's did not go to the series. But the amazing thing is that they even got there because the Oakland A's had the lowest payroll in baseball that year, but they were still getting ready to go to the series. Well, finally, after the season ended, it did not take long for the A's to lose their best players, their star players, to free agency. Well, Billy being the general manager, had the task of replacing his departed stars with little money. And so he took a, a very unconventional approach in rebuilding the team. Find the guy that no one else wants, the guy that everyone else has given up on, and they have basically been written off as having little to no value, and build your team with them. So Bean not only built his team with this bunch of cast-offs, but he also invested personally in his players. He instructed them in a new way to approach the game, a new way of thinking. Amazingly, the A's started winning again. And I think about that and I realize that's the same pattern that Jesus uses to build his church. There is a place for everyone. That's the good news of Jesus. And it doesn't matter what your past is, despite your failures, you are valuable to Jesus. He wants you on his team. There's a place for you. There's a place for every person around you. Not because of who we are or what we've done, but because of who he is and what he's done. And we have someone who accepts us just as we are. Man, that gives tremendous hope. The church is the hope of the world because there's a place for everyone. Well, finally, the church is the hope of the world because it connects us 
to the power of Jesus. Back in Ephesians 1, listen to the, the power and the hope that Paul describes. Verse 16, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the gracious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight. In other words, to help you see clearly through the darkness that's all around us, so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. See, those who who seek God grow in their knowledge and their understanding of Him. Verse 18, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light, so that you can understand the confident hope that he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. The more that we know God, the more confidence and hope that we will have in him. And then Paul continues, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. So what Paul is saying is confidence brings trust, and trust is what allows us to experience his power in our lives. If we don't step out in faith because we trust God and we, we, we always step back in fear, we're not going to experience the power. And so Paul is saying that those who are in Christ have this access to the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's the same power that parted the Red Sea for Moses. It's the same power that allowed David, a little shepherd boy, to defeat Goliath, the giant. And throughout the Bible, God unleashed his power to accomplish his plan in amazing ways. Mike Bro in his book, Making Ripples, Describes how God still does that through his church. And he describes it like jumping into a lake and you jump in and the ripples go out and they just keep going and going and going long after you made that splash. Well, Mike has been making ripples in various places throughout the United States. One of those was Las Vegas. And here's what he writes. We never call it Sin City. We call it the city of grace. Because the Bible says, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And we watched as God's grace reached out to all kinds of broken people, uh, broken, empty, stuck people, and helped them put their lives back together. He then writes about a guy named Jeff. He said the two of us were in a pickup basketball game, and when Jeff said, hey, can we talk for a minute? So we went over to the side of the court, and this is how Jeff started it. He said, I want to preface what I'm going to tell you by letting you know I'm a pretty smart guy. I have a degree in physics. I was a small college All-American quarterback. I own my own, own business. I make lots of money, and I have a great family. I mean, I'm kind of one of those guys that has it all together, except I don't have it all together. He admitted that he had a gambling problem and that he drank too much and that his life felt out of control. And he said, I've been lying to my wife every night, telling her I'm working late, but actually I'm sitting in the casinos putting in quarter after quarter, dollar after dollar into their video poker machines. He says, I can't stop. The other night I I ran out of money, and so I ran out to my car, and I was searching frantically like a madman to find some more change so I could go back in and play some more. Man, this is nuts. I feel like my life and my lies are all coming unraveled. 
And, and so I sit in church and I get this feeling that, that maybe God can help me. Maybe, maybe God is my answer. And Mike said, I told him, you're right. God can help you. He helped me. And Mike just says, Jeff and I began meeting, and to make a long story short, he ended up doing the same thing that I did when I was 17. He humbled himself, and he asked Jesus Christ to be his leader. And God did a 180 with Jeff's life. He took away Jeff's desire to drink and to gamble. He gave him self-control to go with, along with his great personality and compassionate heart. And today, he's a dedicated husband and dad, and one of the kindest, most dynamic, fired-up Christian guys I know. Fast forward a few months. I get a call from a mom in St. Louis, and she said, I have a 21-year-old son named Gary who's got a drinking problem. He's got a gambling problem. We think he's headed to Vegas, and we heard you have a church out there. Can you keep an eye out for him? And Mike said, man, I'm thinking, keep an eye out for him? 30 million people come to Vegas every year. How am I supposed to find one kid? But finding one person in a crowd of 30 million is nothing for God. He is a relentless pursuer of our souls, and he tracked Gary down. About an hour later, the mom called me back, and she said, he's in Vegas. Someone found him passed out in the parking lot of this little hotel. The manager put him out for the night. Here is the address. Can you do something? So Mike hung up the phone and thought, what am I going to do? And then I thought of Jeff. And so I called Jeff, and as soon as he picked up the phone, I said, hey, I got a guy for you. He's at this little hotel down on, behind the strip. Go get him. And Jeff said, okay, I'm on it. Mike says, at that time, we were a brand new church. We were a portable church that had to set up at 6 a.m. every Sunday morning. So at 5.30, he knocks on the door of this sleazy little hotel, and at 6 foot 4 and 270 or 50 pounds, Gary fills the door frame. He's sleepy, he's hungover, he's got vomit on his shirt, and he grunts out, yeah. Jeff is not deterred. Hi, my name is Jeff, and I know all about you, because your mom called, and you used to play football, I used to play football, you have a drinking problem and a gambling problem, I used to have a drinking problem, I used to have a gambling problem, come on, take a shower, and let's go to church together. Gary says, excuse me? Jeff doesn't miss a beat. Man, I'm really sorry I'm talking so fast, and I'm sorry I'm here so early, but I'm on the setup team of this new, really cool church, and we set up at 6 a.m., and you're a big guy. You could really help us. Come on, man, take a shower. Let's talk about it in the car. Gary stands there stunned and says, okay. He took a shower. He got in the car with a total stranger, and he rode out to the high school where our church was meeting. He helped us set up chairs and then stayed for the service. And on that very day, Mike writes, when I, just like I did when I was 17, and Jeff did when he was 33, Gary surrendered his life to Jesus Christ, and God turned him completely around. And so Mike says, by the time I left Vegas, Jeff was rippling on Gary. Gary had started rippling on a guy named Chris, who had started rippling on a guy named Darnell. And that's the way it goes. One life Touches a life that touches a life that touches a life, touches a life, and on and on and on the ripples go. All because of the church, God's people living out their faith 
on a daily basis in a real and a generous way. As a result, Jeff and Gary and the rest are no longer hopelessly confused and their minds full of darkness, wandering in life, living day to day for pleasures that never satisfy, never will, far from the life God gives. The church is the hope of the world because it connects us to the power of Jesus. There was nothing special about Mike or Jeff or Gary. Their lives had a ripple effect simply because they were living for and trusting in Jesus every day. And as a result, they were able to impact and bring hope to the world around them. And you and I, we can do the same. The church is the hope of the world. The church is the hope of the world. The church, you and I, we are the hope of the world. So go and share that hope of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. And God, it's so good to be back. But more importantly than than this service and this day is the fact that You love us as we are, faults and failures and all. And God, you not only love us, you sent your son to die for us, to to pay the price that we can't. And God, that is such good news. May we remember that we were all wandering in life until we met Jesus. And God, now we are are part of the, the church that has the cure for the world. I pray that you would touch our heart, put a spark in our heart that we would go and share the message of Jesus as we go out and live our lives. And we can take the light into the darkness. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.